hey, you know what to do, you're grown, you know what's right. 19, 16, I, don't, I never know exactly what those mean, but we're somewhere in that ballpark. It's one o'clock in the afternoon in Auburn, Alabama, and this place was lit. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the College Loop Podcast, episode 24 of the College Loop Podcast. It's the Cadillac Williams episode, if you will. And speaking of Cadillac, we're going to start right in with it with football. And before I do that, let me just shout out my co-host, as always, Harrison Tarr, always with me uh, on my left, on my left. Uh, uh, Harrison, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. I've, uh, I broke out the Kevin Harvick shirt, uh, getting ready. I'll be wearing my NASCAR stuff all week, getting fired up for the Daytona 500 on Sunday. I know it's not Auburn news, but I got to have my guilty pleasure, right? So uh, diehard Kevin Harvick fan last season. So I'm, I'm getting fired up to go to watch my man get after it. The closer get after it on Sunday. Well, being in the state of Alabama, NASCAR is a religion down here. <laughs> and Daniel, how you doing, buddy? Doing very good. Very good. Always. Um... Yeah, just chilling. There you go. Not, nothing new. All right. Well, someone who else, who is also doing very good, uh, Jamarion Burnett, who we have sources and have believed that he is very, very close to committing to the Auburn Tigers. And he is one of the top running backs in the class 2024. He's the top running back in the state of Alabama, which would be, I believe, the third year in a row Auburn has gotten the uh best running back in the, from the state of Alabama or at least the, it'd definitely be the second year because Jeremiah Cobb right and you talk we talk about it a little bit his his nickname is Fats with a PH and Jamari Barnett is a really good player and I can see him being one of those players like we had with the Brandon Joyner and you know Walker White you know those players who they commit and they're just your biggest recruiters for the class and I mean we don't know exactly when, but it's got to be soon. I think that from from my understanding and, and per Bla- uh, Zach Blackerby and uh, Sports Illustrated uh, as early as yesterday when this episode was recorded. So this would have been a Sunday uh, news story. But the, the, this news broke Sunday that Jamarion Burnett was was close to uh, making supposedly very close to making his commitment official with Auburn, which doesn't surprise a ton of us. It really feels like this is this has been the lead guy in the class of 24 for Hugh Freeze and company, specifically a guy that Cadillac Williams wants. And Cadillac's been pretty open, guys, uh, about the fact that Auburn's going to take two backs in the class of 2024. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. You've got your guy that's a physical runner. He can get, he can be shifty when he gets downhill, but he can also run behind the pads. This is kind of your all around guy. Uh, if, if you want me to use a very loose kind of, lazy example you're, you're right now you've got your your tank bigsby in terms of i'm not i'm not saying this is the he's the same guy that's a very high standard you know what i mean but you've got your tank bigsby in terms of a guy that can be a physical runner can also kind of get out in in, in the flat a little bit if you need him to for a little dump da- uh, check down uh, now you're looking for your your jarquois hunter right and you, you want to go get your guy that's the, that's your little a little more finesse guy still got that good frame uh, jarquois hunter great frame don't get me wrong what's the the kind of build you want in a running back but now you're looking for that complimentary back so you can really get back to that brand and, and, and brand that Cadillac Williams is definitely committed to of having a, a running back by committee, which I think we're going to see in 2023 for Auburn for sure. But you, you, you want to continue having more and more options that you're pulling out of, out of high school and having more guys that you're able to teach underneath Cadillac Williams, which I think that nobody would disagree is a great idea uh, and, and, and a great luxury to have if you're Auburn. Right. I mean, heck, this is the this is the Cadillac Williams episode, <laughs> right? So uh, something I'm excited about, and and Daniel, I'm interested to get your thoughts here a little bit. Um, and I'm not I'm not talking too specific, but now you've got you got your quarterback, 
the quarterback of the future and Walker White, four star, um, dual the uh, I guess dual dual threat balanced guy, someone that, that Hugh Freeze is really going to be able to plug into what he wants to do. Sure, right. And now you've got your two mainstays in terms of that backfield uh, of the twenty four class. How important is this for them being able to have these guys if and when Jamarion Burnett commits, let's say it's in in the very near future, for those two guys to be able to kind of work together and kind of go get their offensive line? Because I know we're obsessed with the fact that Hugh Freeze and company have done a good job with this offensive line, but you got to keep building. So how important is it for them to be able to have those two guys that can start saying, all right, let's get a squad on this offense? You know what I mean? Right. Um, Like you kind of said, I think it's crucial. And from the looks of it on social media, they're not wasting any time. They get how important this is. Like, they're new to the to Auburn, fingers crossed. They're not new to the game of football. Like, <laughs> they, they know you need an offensive line. Um, a running back and a quarterback probably know that better than anyone, that you need an offensive line. Uh, if I can see it from the couch, they can see it from the backfield. So they're not going to waste any time um, trying to get the best – offensive line recruits they can to join them on the planes. Couldn't agree more. And I I really thought it was just necessary for us to mention real quick, Dylan, that this would be four four star guys if Jamarion Burnett and Fat Burnett was the next one to to commit uh to to Auburn. This would be your first four players are all pretty reasonably high four star guys. And this is the makings of, and Caleb Jones kind of hinted at it last week, right? I mean, he said it, this class, I mean, the sky's the limit. Obviously, every coaching staff in the country is looking for that number one class. But this group could be something very, very special at Auburn. And really could be, if if, if you want to look at the 2023 class as kind of that stepping stone to what could really be a turning point in Auburn football recruiting going forward. We know what Auburn has the capability to do. We're just now seeing that maybe this is the staff that can put it all together and get all the pieces. And and that should be very exciting for Auburn fans. Also, something should be exciting for Auburn fans. Let's let's, let's keep it rolling with, with some pretty big news on the planes. Auburn basketball is losers of five of the last six, correct? Uh, do we said that is correct? Yes, sir. Five of five of their last six, only with their lone win coming uh, to, against Georgia in Auburn uh, at Neville Arena. They've got an opportunity to get back on track tomorrow afternoon or this this afternoon as the show comes out guys they they're going to take on missouri and missouri's a tournament team this is not a cakewalk this is not a walk in the park and and i wanted to kind of talk to you guys because i think auburn's in do or die territory right now i think that auburn has soundly put itself on bubble watch i'm curious to hear where this has to start from whether this be in in the film room whether this be in the guard room if this needs to be on the defensive end of the ball, where you guys think that Auburn needs to see the most improvement in order to be able to get right against Missouri, which is not a given. I mean, this is this is a tough game. I think Auburn's kind of still heavily favored, but that's like I said, that's neither here nor there. And I'm curious to hear hear y'all's thoughts on on what does Auburn need to do tomorrow, or I guess tonight, as the show comes out, to make you more confident that this team's not going to be fighting down to the wire on the bubble. We'll start with uh, Dylan. You want to start first? Sure. Uh, watching the Iron Bowl basketball, there was one prevalent factor that we talked about in length was the fact that what were we doing within the last two minutes of the game where it looked like Auburn was going toe-to-toe with Alabama, but what you just don't know what the game plan is when you're tied. I don't uh, – Auburn's favored by six points right now. I think it's going to be close. Uh, this 
Auburn team has not given us any proof that they can prove they're heavily that they're that they can yeah they can they, earn yeah they they're finding it very hard to prove that they are good at proving that they're a heavily favored team in these games because they just don't do that. Sure. We talked about it past six, seven, eight games that they just don't put teams in the rearview mirror. And I would like to see if they're able to do that and if they can prove that, you know, we talk about all the time, Bruce Pearl is not the best X's and O's coach. And I would like to see him kind of move towards that to finish out the season. Cause I love BP. BP is the greatest coach in all basketball history. He's going to get a statue and all that, all that nice stuff. But the season has kind of been proof. It's kind of, it's kind of proving that he's just not there game plan wise when it comes to, cause we watch Wendell Green Jr. Just play around with the ball in the last two minutes. Like they, they don't know sure. anything with, they don't know what's going on except for the fact that they're down by a few points. I, I, I can't disagree at all. And Daniel, I think it's hard to dispute that. I, I, for me, I think that it starts in the film room in terms of having a, having a game plan and a specifically late game game plan that has been seemingly absent for Auburn in the past four or five games. And, and Daniel, where does it start for you? I mean, I know that there's this guy that plays from Missouri. His name's Kobe, which is lit. But uh, Kobe Brown, who's going to be a problem because he's a problem in the league <laughs> and for, for Auburn to take care of. But where does it start for you on Tuesday night at Neville Arena for Auburn to start that long trek for people to start having enough faith in them that they're like, this is not a bubble team. Yeah. So I'm, before I answer that, we're just kind of, kind of flashback to last season, my freshman year on the planes. I just gotten the privilege of getting to know these fine gentlemen here. Um, Just Auburn's only weakness really was when they would get out to a sloppy start. So normally I would say, as long as they get off to a good start, they should be in good shape. Well, the Texas A&M game proved that that was no longer true. And the Bama game. And the Bama game proved that that's that's not all it'll take anymore. Um, so, yeah, Kobe Brown. Um, Auburn's struggled stopping guards this year. Eric Stevenson, um, the A&M guys. So, I don't know. I really kind of am at a loss. I, you're, that's you're, fine. You're at the drawing board. Um that's understandable. That's a, that's a, that's a proper response, in my opinion. I mean, I guess I would say I would start like with Zep on him, and if that's not going to work, I'll try something else. Um, but yeah, I do think if they can slow Kobe Brown down enough, I think that's a big factor, and they should be able to win. Um, I would like to say I I also miss the days when you could pencil an Auburn win in anytime they were in Neville Arena, but. The streak's back at zero. Right. Um, so, I don't know. This is just kind of a – this is territory as an Auburn basketball fan that I haven't really had to deal with. Um, yeah, I know well, your freshman year's with Jabari Smith. So. Hilarious. Um, but, yeah, I just don't I, – I don't know. You know, I think that's a that's a perfectly acceptable answer, Dylan. I mean, Daniel, rather. And Dylan and I were talking about it the other day. We talked about it on the Sunday show. I think this team just kind of is what it is. You know what I mean? I think that, it, like like Jacob Goen said a couple weeks ago on our show, like Jacob Hillman has said when he, when he came on the show, and with, like, countless conversations we've had with, with other people in and around the Auburn program, this group is kind of just who they are. And, and it really starts with the fact that 
you can't put together a complete game. It's really been a struggle down the stretch here where Auburn's just not been able to close out games or not been able to start games properly, not been able to execute stretches where they can kill opponent momentum. It's just been the fact that they've yet to play 40 minutes of basketball in the same game and 40 yeah. minutes of good basketball rather. And, and I'll tell you what should scare the crap out of Auburn fans. Missouri's got three guards double uh, averaging double figures. You've you've got a guy. Uh, see, Golson's averaging ten and a half. Hodge has fourteen and point one, and then Kobe Brown. We know about him sixteen point five a game. That's some scary stuff for this backcourt. And yeah. but we keep harping on the guards, and I don't think it's all on the guards, man. I mm-hmm. it's just so many different layers to this where you where you you start to ask yourself and want really really wonder when does Auburn have to do some soul searching. And and I'm and this is not me being overly critical. I don't think I'm being ridiculous. There's there's just an element of this, guys, where it, it, you have to start wondering what is this team missing other than obviously shooters. What can this team do to compensate for the fact that they are missing shooters and they've yet to really find that on a consistent basis? And then as soon as you feel like Auburn, all they got to do is keep playing their brand of defense, they go away from it. And it's it's very, very confusing because I, I told Dylan this when, when he was in making this weekend, Daniel. The biggest my, and most mind-boggling part of all of this to me is there's not a lack of talent on the Auburn roster. No. Um, this is probably one of the deepest rosters that VP's had at all. Sure. Absolutely. And it's it's just it's tough to to comprehend. Auburn and do or die territory, though, guys, and I do think they get the job done tonight. Uh, as uh, as 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 this comes out this afternoon, uh, I think they have to. This is one of those games where I don't necessarily feel great about it being a big time win for Auburn in terms of point differential or, or margin of victory. But I feel like you have to. You're coming off of a couple of really, really, really rough games, and if if you lose to Missouri, people are going to start talking about whether or not Auburn deserves to be in the tournament. And these people are probably right. So let's uh, let's 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 go ahead and see Dylan. Dylan, you like uh, who, who do you have tonight? And give me a little margin of victory. I'm going to take Auburn six points. I might go Auburn like two. Sure, Daniel. Give me like Auburn five. There you go. I feel like all that's fair, and it's going to be somewhere in the seventies. I think we could all agree on that, right? Like low seventies, uh, maybe high sixties. Yeah, sixties. Uh, <laughs> yeah. One of those one of those occurrences. Let's let's keep talking about some hoops real quick. And let's go ahead and talk about the harsh reality. Auburn fans, buckle up and get ready for me to go and say something that's probably going to hurt your feelings. Auburn has not beaten Alabama on the hardwood in any version of this game uh, to this point this year. They were swept by the Johnny Harrison and company were swept by Alabama's women's basketball team at the airplane hangar during the Super Bowl. So to add an insert uh, insult to injury. Man, woof. Not only did Auburn lose that game, Auburn got beat down uh, by Alabama, dropped a very nice 69 points to Auburn's 46. Aisha Koulibaly, Precious Johnson were both back in in business, but it really didn't seem to matter because Alabama just kind of had their number. Precious Johnson was seemingly negligible here. Obviously, AC, even when she's beat up, can drop 13 points because that's what AC does. What's going on here, Daniel? Where does where does women's hoops even begin to course correct? Um, that's a good question. And just 
going into the South Carolina game, um, the day of, I picked Auburn in my pick them just because. Why not? Doesn't, um, it, there's no money involved. It's okay. <laughs> no. Then I was um, talking to a friend of mine close to the team and got some information that instantly made me regret that. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, and then, you know, I went to that game. I thought the just – I know we're talking about Alabama, but I just, the South Carolina game, that was acceptable. Sure, I don't think ahead. Auburn did anything in that game that was just outlandishly bad. Moving into Sunday, um, I just I felt confident a little bit. Um, I was like, all right, I mean, we, we've got to get a winter sports win over Alabama, right? Like Auburn hasn't beat Alabama anything since September when the volleyball team swept them. Um, so it's like, surely something's got to go our way here. Like SUNY Lee couldn't get it done. Wendell Green couldn't get it done. Come on, Aisha. <laughs> Come on. Right. But. God, I just I don't know. Well, and then, the, the numbers you, speak you, for themselves, man. They do. And I, then just you've still got a lot of you have four games left, right? You have Texas AM at home um on Thursday. Then on Sunday you have Tennessee on the road. That's always going to be tough. Next week you have George on the road, and then you close out the year at home with Vandy on senior night. None of those games are easy. Um but I don't think any of them are unwinnable. This is the most down we've seen Tennessee in several years. Uh, I, I still think they're a, a good basketball team that should probably take care of business over Auburn. But Texas A&M, Georgia, and Vanderbilt, those are those are kind of toss-ups if you play your best brand of basketball, right? Yeah, and I really hope Auburn does, mainly because I would love to see this team finish above 500. Yeah. Um, if that could happen, I would feel like that would be great. I feel sure. like goals will be achieved with that. Um is there such thing as the WNIT? No. Oh. I think Understood. the way Dilla was looking at it was kind of funny. I, I remember um, we talked about this a look, few episodes ago. We did. Uh, on me. No, you're good. No, you're good. It's one of those things that it feels like it should be, right? It's just not. Um, yeah. Let me let me just plug something real quick about the Alabama game. You're not going to beat teams when you're shooting 27.4% from the floor. You're 0 16 from three-point land, and you only hit 63.2% of your free throws, specifically when your opponent shoots 50% from the floor, 5 of 19 from the perimeter, and 12 of 15 from the free throw line. And there's your game. That is all you need to see. I don't even have to show you the rest of the stat box. I, I mean, am I wrong? No, you're not. <laughs> it's just one of those poor shooting performances, and, and you don't get help from your guards. Honestly, Scott Grayson look has looked lost over the past few games. I'm still not entirely certain that she's healthy. And Sydney Shaw was looked like she was going to be a bright spot, and then she kind of has done this thing where she fleets and comes back and fleets and comes back. And I'm not – that's no shade. Y'all know I think I, I have a very high ceiling for her. But this this group, like, to Daniel's credit, you're going to have to fight down the stretch, right? So something worth keeping an eye on. Let's keep talking women's sports. Let's do that. We do that here. We do a lot, little bit of little bit of women's sports here. Uh, and definitely huge uh, advocates and fans for this. Let's talk about a little little bit about Diamond Sports, and, and we're getting to a fantastic interview with one Lindsey Crosby of the Auburn Daily of Locked On MLB Prospects. That's coming up here shortly. So don't don't click through the end of this uh, episode if you're if you're listening or watching at home. Definitely something you're going to want to check out. It's going to be a ton of fun. Let's talk Auburn softball for a second, though. So we, we came into this year, and Caleb Jones posed a great question last week, guys. We know about the offensive firepower, right? We knew about this. Auburn goes 4-1 and one last weekend, and they have 
three different pitchers with 0.00 ERAs after the weekend. And they didn't play a single bad team. Correct. 100%. The question was whether or not Auburn could get it done in the circle. They did it last week. If you can keep everybody healthy, I mean, Matty Penta, Shelby Lowe, we know about them. Certain young lady out of Michigan that transferred to Auburn this year because she wanted to be with the program. Another shutout effort. This group, if this can continue, guys, good things are going to happen to Auburn softball. More importantly, something I wanted to talk about, offensive menaces, that's not gone anywhere. That's gone nowhere. You've got six combined home runs in five games, and you don't have a Bree bomb yet. Actually, Bree Ellis is, is batting just over 160. Opening a season with a slump, so be it. Happens. No need to pr- press the panic button. But you know who's not playing around? Aspen Gottlieb. Good Lord, man. Go ahead, Dylan. I won't, I, won't, I won't stop you. Aspen Godwin started off the her season with 10 at-bats, where she got two home runs, seven RBIs, and she ended off one game with a walk-off grand slam. Which, salami. Dear Lord, that she cranked the crap out of that ball. And she's hitting 400, just by the way. Just yeah. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to Auburn's credit, uh, they went 4-1 and one this weekend. And if you weren't watching because we didn't know how to watch uh i tried to find it uh i did too it's just the app was terrible i'm sorry i'll be the one to say it auburn outscored their opponents which was st john's fordham pitt indiana and illinois outscored those guys 41 runs to eight yeah that's bonkers and you gotta think that's over a weekend like they played two games in the same day and they on the same day they scored 19 runs on sunday not to mention, I believe off the top of my head, and I'm I'm just doing quick mental math here. I think 13 or f- no, excuse me. There are only four players on the Auburn roster that didn't see an A B this past weekend. Just putting that out there. That didn't see one at bat this past weekend. This team's deeper than they were last year, Daniel. And that's that's probably the key to success. Yeah. And to you guys' credit, you did a great job of um kind of recapping that. However, my personal favorite stat of the whole weekend was left out. Let's hear it. Those seven runs that Auburn gave up came in six innings. Six innings. Auburn fans, Auburn fans, listen here, listen good. You'll take that. That's okay. That is okay. 100%. If a meltdown is seven runs over six innings, if that is a meltdown, you'll be okay. You're going to stay. Well, they got down seven to nothing in that game. Then mounted a comeback. It just fell short. They lost, I think, seven to six. That was the or is it eight seven? Seven. eight seven? Eight seven. Eight seven game. That's yeah. great. You'll be fine. That is good stuff. Our questions have been to this point, and 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 I guess in in the off season. Now that we're here, we can start actually talking about it. Questions have always been in the circle. And if if you look at your three starters, if you're looking at Annabelle Wydra, Maddie Penta, and Shelby Lowe. Shelby Lowe just walked up and said, I'm the same Shelby Lowe. Don't you worry about me. Maddie Penta said, I got better. And Annabelle Wider pulled up and said, yeah, I left Michigan because I wanted to play here. So I'm going to just follow their lead. Is that is it cool if I just don't let anybody hit the ball? <laughs> and for whatever reason, Mickey Dean said that was fine. <laughs> this if you group- guys don't mind real quick, I'll go ahead and recap or, excuse me, preview this weekend. I would love that. I would love nothing more than that, actually. And we'll talk more about it coming down the week, but I would love for you to give give us a, share, share a little insight before we sure. bring on the one and only Lindsey Crosby. 
So Tiger Invitational this weekend at Jane B. Moore Field. The action gets started Friday at 3 p.m., which is actually one hour before the Auburn baseball team kicks off their season against the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, Auburn versus Austin P. Friday at 3. Auburn versus Villanova Friday at 5.30. Auburn versus Villanova again Saturday at 3. And then Auburn versus Dayton Saturday at 5.30. Then Auburn versus Austin P. again Sunday at 2.30. Great softball action on the planes this weekend. And the weather's supposed to be beautiful. Get out there. I'm serious. If you get a chance, Dylan and I spent a ton of time last year, Daniel. Uh, we would just go for the, the tournament. We would go and grab lunch in between games and, and then just go hang out. There's, I, don't I know love how I kept missing you guys at Jane B. Moore last year, dude. I'm the, I'm literally there all the time. When I was when I was living the undergrad, I was at Jane B. Moore oh, all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I love going to uh, I love college softball. And in case you couldn't tell by this whole segment here, I, it is such an underrated sport, and it is so much fun to watch. Uh, I, I I fell in love with college softball very early on in my time in undergrad. So, and it's, it, once I put, put Dylan on the wave, he never looked back. So <laughs> it's a, it's a ton of fun. All right, guys. It's about that time. I'm fired up. I know you guys are fired up. We're going to step away for just one second for you folks back home. I promise it'll be for us. It's going to take way longer than for you guys. You guys listening will probably just get an instant little edit switch over from Dylan on Dylan's part that he'll take care of for us. It'll be just a couple minutes. We are about to welcome in Lindsay Crosby of the Auburn daily and a host of Locked On MLB Prospects. And we are going to talk some Auburn freaking baseball, guys. So I am pumped. And I know he's pumped. I know you guys are excited. Let's get right to this interview with Lindsey Crosby. Do you want to make a podcast? Well, Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily and distribute it everywhere and even earn money as well. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. And here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and literally everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it is totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, it's been so easy to get the show out to y'all. And I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify Podcasters app or go to Spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Let's go. Welcome in Lindsey Crosby. We are super pumped to have the one and only, the magnificent, wonderful Lindsey Crosby of the Auburn Daily and host of Locked On MLB Prospects joining us. Lindsey, how are you doing today, my man? Uh, I, it is a great day when I get to talk Auburn baseball, so I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, we're about to make your day a whole lot better then, because we've got a we got a whole lot of questions for you. That's why we brought you on. We've got opening day on the Plains. Auburn's playing host to Indiana this weekend in a three game set. Hopefully, the weather's supposed to be nice. I haven't looked into it yet. I hope so. Um, <laughs> game one got moved from 6 p.m. to 4 p.m. on Friday, oh, cool. and that's because at I think seven, it's supposed to be 41 degrees. So I'm glad they, they moved, moved it up, up so we can play in the sunshine. Yeah. Respect. Yeah. Very. Yes. You see, we're already learning new things here, guys. This is why we bring, bring Lindsay on with, with, with us. Lindsay, we've got a lot of questions. We know that this team's going to look pretty different than mm -hmm. it did in uh, just a year ago in their college world series run. So we're going to kind of Q and a panel our way around Del, uh, Dylan and Daniel and I are really good at cutting each other off anyway. So don't worry. We'll handle that on our own. Gotcha. Uh, Feel free to jump in if you ever if we ever start talking over us. You know the procedure. We host a, the uh, the Auburn Daily podcast together every Friday. Just shut me up when you need to. But I'm gonna go ahead and kick this thing off and, and just go ahead and talk from a from a general consensus here. 
Lindsay, how are the vibes right now before we get into the, the, the nitty gritty? How are the vibes around Auburn baseball opening up after a college world series run in 2022? The vibes are positive, but there's a little bit of like chip on our shoulder, right? So you sure. look at the 2021 team, uh, doesn't have a great year like they expect. Obviously, the last full season they'd had, 2019, they go to the College World Series. 2021, bit of a struggle. They were on plans D, E, and F. They're starting pitching, things like that. So going into 2022, a little bit of a lightly regarded team. They make a run, finish fifth in the country. Uh, you come back this year, again, not being ranked to start the season. And projected, you know, one of the last teams into the field, uh, not hosting a regional, not being in line to host a super regional. And so, yes, I had a coach on the record tell me, you know, we're we're underestimated. We prefer that. Uh, we're comfortable with that. But I also was told off the record, like, we hate it for Butch and we're not happy about it and we're going to prove him wrong. And so it's a little bit of it. It's a little extra motivation like these like these guys didn't need it, but it's a little extra motivation to go out and really, really excel this year. Sure. And I, I wanted to get the general scope before we kind of kind of work our way down from this broad umbrella into some specific questions. Because I know that Dylan, Daniel and I have kind of talked to we've been bouncing ideas all way all day. Like, hey, wait, no, I want to ask Lindsay that I want to ask Lindsay that uh, I, I do want to start here and, and obviously circle your opening opening series. That's always an important one to get get the season off on the right foot. But if there's just a handful of, of series, whether that be home on the road, whatever the importance may be, or maybe if it's an individual non-conference game for you. Where should Auburn be kind of where do they have their 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 sharpies circled going down the stretch? It's a long season, but some series wind up playing out more important than others. Yeah. So you have a pretty big stretch kind of early where you play some tough teams in conference, right? You open SEC play at Arkansas, always a tough matchup, especially there in Fayetteville, where the fans are kind of on top of you. Uh, you know, from from there, you have after you get a break with Georgia, not a you know, not supposed to be a good team this year. You have to go to Florida. So that three-week stretch is going to be kind of critical for Auburn. But the thing that I've heard a lot of folks talking about is we have to hold serve at home, right? We have to defend Planton Park. You know, we must protect this house, all of that kind of stuff. And you bring in two, there's two really big series at home in the SEC. You have Texas A&M, April 6th through 8th. Uh, and then you have LSU in May. And the way that it works out on the schedule, so it's like fifth, sixth, and seventh for LSU, uh, it works out really well because Texas A&M is in Auburn on Easter weekend, which is A-Day on Saturday. And so Auburn's kind of expecting their, the time has not been set for that Saturday game. They're waiting to see exactly how much time they'll need based on when A-Day is supposed to get done, time sure. to dedicate the Frank Thomas statue, and then have the game. But they're hoping that they can get they can use the the A-Day and the, the Frank Thomas statue and all the festivities to kind of goose attendance there to, to kind of up, get the upset at home. And then LSU ends up being graduation weekend. So the sa exact same idea. They're hoping Perfect. to be able to use these other events that bring a lot of people to town to sell out Plainsman Park, uh, fill up operation atmosphere, and really make it into a hostile environment so that they have every possible legal advantage against these two top five teams, including – LSU, the team that is number one overall, had the number one transfer class, the number one prep recruiting class, is expected to have a number one overall pick and and just kind of be a juggernaut. So those two series at home are a, you know, we our expectation is to win every series. But these are two that they're some of our toughest tests of the year, but they're at home. We have a little bit of an advantage 
if we can properly use it. So that's one they're really looking to try to get the upset, hold serve at home. And to, to I kind of speak on that point, Auburn doesn't have a cupcake of a non-conference slate either. You've, you've got a you've got a great uh, a great Power Five test in Indiana and then you know USC and and you get to go out in, in LA and I, I want to know what our athletic department's doing by the way, getting us all uh, getting Auburn all the way out to California so much this year. I feel like they've played on the <laughs> West Coast and everything, <laughs> but but you really don't have a cupcake of, of a non-conference team. I mean, you've got Lipscomb. Uh, at home, you got a series with them. Then you get UAB and Jacksonville State, which, for whatever reason, in-state teams kind of were a thorn in your side in 2022. Even if you took care of business, they made it way closer than most people probably thought it should have been. They did. I, I was there for a midweek game in which Auburn may or may not have dropped to Jacksonville State in 2022. Uh, and I can't say that too loud. Whenever Dylan hears Auburn dropping a game to Jacksonville State, he gets PTSD. But <laughs> but that's uh, that's I think it's worth noting. And, and guys, Daniel, Dylan, I'm, I'm done with the general ones and, and cutting you guys off. I know you guys wanted to get some. What's up, Lindsay? Go ahead. Before we go on from that, uh, I will say Southeastern Louisiana, home for an entire series. That was a postseason team last year. They were actually the number four seed in the Auburn Regional. So we faced them. They're a really unusual team as far as the way that they set up, uh, the specifically the running game, but their pitching staff. They do a lot of things that are unconventional, kind of cutting edge. They're a good challenge. And then you bring back the home and home with Georgia Tech. This schedule, I think only maybe is... I think it's, I think North Alabama or no, Florida A&M is the only real team that's going to hurt your RPI. And then other than that, your RPI on this schedule on paper, at least comes out to be like top 10 in the country, which obviously wow. helps when you're trying to get a number one seed and host a regional versus being a number two and sure. Auburn, unlike a lot of their opponents, doesn't cancel end of season non-conference games to try to protect RPI because they just schedule good games in the first place. And this is another one with, some tests. Lipscomb was a good team last year. I mean, you're going to USC, Georgia Tech. You have quality teams in this non-conference. It's a good test for these guys. Sure. I. You see, I'm learning things right here, Dylan, Daniel. I'm learning things right in front, right in front of our eyes. I'm going to open it up to you guys. I know that we're, we're going to get a little more nitty-gritty and get more specific. So we all had a handful of things. We wanted to pick your brain while we got you, Lindsay. So, Dylan, you want to go ahead and open this one up? Uh, sure. <clears throat> and you talk about how Auburn is underrated, as always. But as a long-term Auburn fan myself <clears> – <throat> Good Lord. Uh, I know that Auburn performs their best in any sport whenever they are underrated. Yeah. And speaking of underrated, I look at like a Nate LaRue situation who is who is career batting average around a 200. And his primary purpose is as catcher. How does his experience coming back benefit Auburn and how does he plug into this year's group? So defensively, you love having Nate LaRue back because of his ability to stop the running game. Uh, that arm is incredibly huge. And this time last year, Auburn didn't actually know if Nate LaRue was a better catcher or a pitcher. He threw early in the year. He was the he was one of the backups at catcher. And I believe to finish last year, he didn't have enough innings to qualify, but I believe Nate LaRue had the best ERA on the team. He was a one, one six nine. Very there nice you, stat line. There you go. Um, but it was something where um where like Nate LaRue's defense has been incredibly valuable, but he made a dramatic change. And when you watch the first game with him this year, you'll see his stance is significantly different at the plate uh, offensively. He's a lot more open, kind of holds the bat almost parallel to the plate and then steps into the bucket as the pitcher's coming through the windup. It turns out he's right eye dominant. And so when you're a right-handed hitter, your left eye is naturally facing the pitcher and not your right. So he completely changed his stance so that he could get that dominant right eye towards the pitcher and see what he's doing. And in the in fall, he had some of the best offensive numbers in the on the entire team. 
uh, some of the best hard hit percentages, some of the best batting averages, power numbers, everything. And so it's a scenario where uh, Nate LaRue is poised to me. He's the breakout on in 2023. He's the guy that he got a little bit of MLB interest last year, and they did not know if he was going to come back or not. And they were worried because you might lose Nate LaRue and Ike Irish might go pro. And instead, you got them both. But I think Nate LaRue is going to be the breakout MLB prospect of this uh, Auburn team and probably going to be one of the first Auburn players taken in the 2023 draft, poised for a huge year. But it just gives a lot of continuity to what the pitching staff is trying to do. You have so many new guys you're trying to incorporate into the rotation, into the bullpen. Uh, and he's a guy he lays down, like he gets him to lay down good tracks. He calls a good game. So it really gives you that continuity as you're bridging, in essence, from one pitching staff to a almost entirely new pitching staff. You know, I'm going to take that and, and kind of build off that. We, we were talking about Nate LaRue and, and kind of like a bounce back breakout year. Uh, after, after I'll be honest, watching Nate LaRue in the postseason, you kind of held your breath when he's at the plate. No doubt in my mind, gunslinger, great arm. Calls a great game, but you kind of hold your breath and go, can Nate just at least draw a walk in, in, in this in this situation? The right eye dominant thing is wild to me, by the way. I just wanted to throw that out there. I've just that's bizarre and super cool. Uh, actually, that's really interesting. I, I want to talk for a second about another guy. I think that could really come back this year. Uh, Lin Lindsay, talk talk for a second here about Tommy Sheehan and 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 in and a first year. And I know this is we're switching over to the to the rotation. We're gonna have a lot of rotation questions for you, but no worries. Coming off of Tommy John, correct? Uh, partial or, Tommy John, but enough where they right. they started with him early in the year last year, and he just wasn't ready. Right, and so you actually saw him kind of disappear mid part of the season. Butch Thompson calls it going in the garage. Right, <laughs> they put him in the garage, got some more work done under the hood. As but just continue with the analogies that Butch I love likes. it. And and he really came out late in the year and gave you fan like great quality innings. Sure, it's something where he could start for you. He could be a guy who you relied on as a starter, but they like the ability of Tommy Sheehan to come in into, I'm not going to call it a crisis, but kind of be your fireman. Come in and say, all right, you got runners on first and third and there's nobody out. We need to get, to get us out of this. And kind of using, he's in his fifth or sixth year of college now, using that veteran knowledge and that, that, uh, that guile to kind of get Auburn through this scenario and hand the baton off to the next guy. And so... Uh, there's a possibility he ends up being a starter. Yes. But I think that his, his value is going to be, he's able to be deployed whenever you need it. You need him. He can do something like Arkansas. He went one inning gave up. I want to say he had one hit, no runs, nothing else. And that was with the burners on base when he came in. And then he turned around the next weekend and threw four innings against Alabama. Again, one hit four strikeouts. It's just that kind of flexible. I'm not going to call him a, like a, 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 Long relief, like a swing man kind of thing. He can start. He can come in an emergency. He can come in in long relief. Whatever you need, that's probably his biggest value to Auburn. And then being a coach to some of these young players, especially these young lefties who are still trying to get a hang of the college game. He's done it at a high level in the ACC and the SEC. Kind of a Swiss Army knife, if you will. That's a that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I put it put it right there, Dylan. Uh, this is the this is the clickbait. Is uh, Tommy Sheehan is a Swiss Army knife, literally, and then that's all. We don't need to we don't need to go any further. Daniel, go ahead. I know you had something else to add there. Yeah, um, Lindsay, I was just wondering, what can you tell me about the bullpen? So, the issue you have with the bullpen, right, is you you lost those two guys who had the clearly defined roles, and they were they were your alpha males in the bullpen, right? You lost Carson Skipper; he's now a Colorado Rocky. You lost Blake Burkhalter; he's now an Atlanta Brave. 
And so there's going to be two groups of relievers that you see this year. The first group is going to be guys who are not starting on that particular weekend. A lot of Auburn's young starters, your uh, your Hayden Murphy, your Zach Crotchfelt, your Drew Nelson, things like that. Games where they don't start, they'll probably be uh, available to come in and relief as a piggyback. But you're back into the bullpen. You're going to kind of mix and match between four guys. You've got John Armstrong, the side armor. You've got Tommy Vale, the veteran lefty. You've got Chase Isbell, and you've got Will Cannon. And we don't have one guy who's just picked out right now as he is the guy. He is the closer. When we need to save, we're calling this guy. Uh, they're going to try to try some guys out. I expect the first option at closer will be Will Cannon this weekend. I think John Armstrong is probably the best bet to be the closer by the end of the year. But it's something where that's your your kind of your four horsemen there in the stable. And uh, when it gets late in games, it's going to be one of those four guys every single game until you can, and they'll just pass the baton from one to the other until the, until the game is over. Uh, and it, whether somebody steps up and becomes the guy or not, that's up to them. As Butch likes to say, the players make up the lineup once the season starts. Uh, but for now, the plan is those are the four guys who are going to be our high leverage guys. And then our our guys who would be starters are available to piggyback and to work in the middle and just focus on passing the baton to the next guy. Yeah, I think that I, I was curious. I'm glad you, you talked about John Armstrong for a second there because there were some rumors swirling around uh, about him possibly jockeying for one of those spots in that starting rotation. Uh, I is is that is that real or is that just kind of just uh, I guess uh, commentary from from the outside. It, it feels like commentary from the outside. He's been working on the pitch mix, right? So he has that that absolutely deadly slider. I mean, if you've watched an Auburn game with him, sure. going from a pure sidearm slot, it looks like a UFO. It spins like a, <laughs> probably the wrong, wrong week to make that analogy. It's, it's like, <laughs> it flies like a Frisbee. It is absolutely wild, right? But to go along with it, he had a, a two-seam fastball, sat around 89 or so, and great to get weak uh, weak contact, induced ground balls, things like that, but wasn't really a put-away pitch. And other than the than the slider, he didn't really have a swing and miss pitch. He's been working on adding a four-seamer. Uh, the goal would for that would be to get it to probably 92 or 93 or so. And I think when you see somebody start to add pitches, there's kind of a natural assumption while you're trying to get to that starter's arsenal of three pitches that you can throw for strikes uh, – I think that's probably a, a conversation that somebody had when they saw the the, the four-seamer. But from what I understand, there's not been any real talk about making him into uh, a starter simply because they want to give him the ability to just let it eat and just go out there, uh, max effort, get as many guys out as you can, and then we'll pass the baton to somebody else. And he showed glimpses in, in, in the College World Series run where he's capable of doing that. I, I th th That role for him makes the most sense in my mind. And, and, but that's my head cannon, and nobody bothered to ask me. At a, uh, at a squad game last weekend, I want to say it was Friday maybe, I watched him come into a game with no outs and runners on first and third and get out of the entire inning in four pitches. And obviously no run scored, but it's just something where, I mean, he 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 sequenced it, he set it up. <laughs> He had everything planned and just mowed him down. Now, the second inning, he was out there for another inning of work because he only got four pitches in. He was in for another inning of work, got into a little bit of trouble, and it was something where he threw too many pitches in an inning. And, you know, it, it the, the best role is 
for, for, for John Armstrong is not just we have to get out of this inning, but we have to get out of this inning without allowing a hit or without allowing a run. We need right. you to come in and completely shut it down. I think that's his best role. And ultimately, I think that's why I like him as a closer. And I think by the end of the season, he'll be that guy you call on in the spirit of a Burkhalter and say, we've got to get out of this. We've got to shut this rally down and make it. This is the bottom of the eighth. We got to get two outs here and three outs in the ninth. John, here's the ball. Sure. I'm 100% with you. Daniel Dillon, I've got one more, but I'll, I can ask that after you guys. If you guys have something else y'all want to throw in there or if you need me to kind of feed the interim so you guys can think about it, I'm more than happy to do so. But by all means, y'all go right ahead. Uh, what do you, what do you think the starting infield is going to look like on Friday? Okay, so from what I've seen in, in practice, uh, Cole Foster, obviously, you're shortstop. Um, Caden Green seems pretty solidified at second base. I think you'll see him probably towards the back end of the lineup, probably batting ninth, batting eighth, something like that. Uh, third base has been the battle between uh, Bryson Ware, the, the veteran, and Gavin Miller. Gavin Miller, the true there was my question out of Pennsylvania. Uh, Bryson Ware, junior college shortstop, played outfield for Auburn, uh, now moving back to the infield. I think that knowing how Butch Thompson likes to, in his words, dominate the routine play, he values defense. And then he values the leadership of the veterans. I think you'll see Bryson Ware at third base to open the game. And then knowing if it's close late and it's a crucial at-bat, you may lift Bryson Ware for a pinch hitter. Uh, and then first base, the plan is Cooper McMurray, uh, the, the transfer from Kansas. Big guy, big body, good defense, a lot of power in there. Struggled a little bit this spring, was really hot over the weekend. He actually had two Balls hit on Friday, both of them over 100 miles an hour, one of them for an RBI single, one of them for a, a grand slam. So doing kind of nice sure. there. But first base is going to be an interesting spot where you're going to see Auburn try to mix in some more guys. They love Ike Irish, like I mentioned earlier. They want his bat in the, off, in the lineup whenever possible. But kind of surprisingly, Ryan Dial, the catcher, has had one of the better hard hit percentages on this entire team. I want to say he finished... As of going into the weekend, last weekend, he was around 80% hard hit percentage, which is just absolutely absurd. And so they've worked. He played left field some last year when Auburn needed some depth. He's worked out there again this year. He's also worked some at first base. So has Ike Irish. I think there'll be some scenarios when Auburn makes the deliberate trade-off of we're going to give up a little bit of defense to get some offense and not have to and have the DH spot like, don't have to stick Irish or Dial in the DH spot. You can use one of them in DH, one of them at first base. And so you you may not see Cooper McMurray in every single game, depending on how Auburn makes that trade-off. But that's going to be your infield. is going to be, for the most part, Cooper McMurray at first, Caden Green at second, Cole Foster at short, and then Bryson Ware at third. That was actually, I'm glad that you you, you incorporated that there, Dylan, because my next question was, where where does, uh, where does Bryson Ware fit into this team? And, and that, my, my question was answered. I've got one last simple one. Daniel, do you have anything else to add to Lindsay before I, I throw this one out there? Yeah. So is there any way that the production that Sonny DeShera alone brought to the table is replicated? So that's that's the million dollar question, right? <laughs> that's one of the reasons why it's been so hard for all these outlets like D1 Baseball and places like that to to rank Auburn going into the season. None of them have, and it's the question they've they've had is uh, who who replaces that production? When you talk to Butch this time last year, 
you know, he would say, and he, he told us after the fact, obviously, he's like, but I was sitting here wondering, can Sonny DeShera do this in the SEC? Yeah, we saw him do it at Sanford. Can he do it in the SEC? I think you're not going to see a one-for-one -one replacement for what Sonny DeShera did. That was a, a, a special group of circumstances, a special year. And uh, honestly, hot take, but I think Sonny DeShera probably belongs on your Mount Rushmore of one-and-dones at Auburn. I mean, you have Jabari Smith, you have Cam Newton, you have Sonny DeShera, and then you have a fourth person. And I'm not quite sure on who that fourth person is. Might be a great show idea later for you guys. Uh, I love it. But I think that you're going to be able to recreate him in the aggregate. Uh, Bobby Pierce didn't get into the lineup until LSU last year. Ended up being second on the team in home runs. Uh, he's set up probably going to be... Uh, I've seen him a lot in spring leading off which is an interesting place to put him. He's got fantastic speed. He's also got great power. And so uh, I, I think he's going to give you a lot more power production than you got. Uh, I think Nate LaRue's power performance is going to significantly increase this year from last year, just again with the, the right-eye dominant and the, the new batting stance and everything like that. And then I do really think Ike Irish is going to be able to give you a lot more than people are expecting a freshman to be able to give you. He's somebody that that... Gabe Gross told me has the best batting eye on the entire team. And he's a true freshman. And so the focus is getting, is giving these guys more opportunities and then really having a better lineup top to bottom. If you remember so many games last year, a study to share a stat line would be one for one with a double and three walks. Yeah. There was just no protection at one point. I wrote a piece at one point in time. I want to say maybe April looking at the batting average from the number four hole. And it was atrocious. Sonny DeShera had no protection. And so I think this lineup is deep enough where you have to pitch to just about everybody. You don't, uh, you can't walk a guy and say, oh, we'll just, we'll just get the next guy. You can't walk Casey Howell because Ike Irish is behind him. You can't walk uh, Nate LaRue because Cole Foster's behind him. Justin Kirby's behind him. Cooper McBurry's behind him. And so it's going to be more of a recreating it in the aggregate than having one guy put up those type of stats. Sure. Lindsay, last question for you before we, before we round up and get out of here. Starting rotation for this weekend? You you can throw that <laughs> one in there as a bonus. You're more than welcome to lead with that. I was just going to ask you, does Auburn have, have what it takes to shock the world this year? I think they do. I think it's something where it's going to be, it's not going to be as smooth as last year. You're going to have some series that you drop that you probably don't think you should while Auburn figures out which new guy is in the right place. You know, uh, is is he better as a starter? Is he better as a piggyback? Should we have him in the bullpen? Uh, should should Bobby Pierce be leading off? Should he be cleaning up? Where should he be? Uh, but there's, Butch likes to say, this is one of the most talented teams Auburn has had. Now, they don't have the experience, but they have the talent. And just from my time watching Auburn baseball, even before I started covering it, just as a fan, this is one of the deeper teams I can remember. Uh, there was previous years when like a Chris Stanfield you know, the, the the freshman center fielder from Tallahassee, he's your fourth outfielder right now. I mean, he's the guy that, I mean, he's he's competing for a the number four outfielder spot. There's plenty of rosters that I've seen, including rosters that made the World Series, where he would be your number two outfielder as a true freshman. And there's just so sure. much talent here. I feel like Auburn can do it. You'll see it starting this weekend. You're going to have your three starters are going to be Chase Alsup, Joseph Gonzalez, and true freshman Drew Nelson. And I would expect that to be Alsip on Friday, Gonzalez on Saturday, 
and Drew Nelson on Sunday. Gonzalez on Saturday, not because he's not as good as Alsa, but because they want the flexibility going forward to move him to Sunday if they want or move him up to Friday. And putting him at Saturday is the easiest way to do that. Whereas if you put him on Friday and you want him to be on Sunday, it really kind of messes up the schedule. So sure. you're going to have, uh, again, Chase Alsup opening the season on Friday. You're going to have Joseph Gonzalez on Saturday. And you're going to have true freshman Drew Nelson this week, at least on Sunday. But that third spot's going to kind of rotate amongst some guys, depending on performance, depending on matchups, things like that. Well, you can, you'll check out Joe Gonzalez on Saturday, but you can check out Lindsey Crosby at, tell the people. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, all my Auburn baseball writing, auburndaily.com. And then if you care about what these guys do when they're done with college, my podcast, Locked in MLB Prospects, uh, top 20 baseball podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, five days a week, talking about these guys as they get to the next level and try to become professional baseball stars. Lindsey, we appreciate you coming on. Daniel, go ahead and we'll work our way around real quick. At Daniel J. Locke on Twitter, you can find my written work at the Opelika Observer or for any Auburn student media platform. I'm at by Harrison Tarr on Twitter. You can check out my written work at The Auburn Daily. You can also check me out on Wednesdays and Fridays on The Auburn Daily Show. Wednesdays with lovely Dylan Lark. Fridays with the even more lovely Lindsey Crosby. Nothing short of a pleasure with these guys. You can also check all the College Loop out on all social media platforms. I know Dylan's going to plug that. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Lindsey, for coming on. Dylan's going to get us out of here and send us into space, and I'll probably never see you again. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's right. I'm Dylan Lark at your boy, The Tank, on Twitter. That is at Y-A-B-O-I, The Tank. And follow the college loop everywhere, except for MySpace, of course. But that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, The Works. And you also catch up on the Auburn Daily Show that every Monday and Wednesday. Wednesday with Harrison Tarr. Wasn't on the Monday edition because I was doing a lot of traveling. But make sure to catch out catch Lance Dawes' episode on what Oklahoma and Texas bring to the SEC. But with that being said, the College Loop Podcast. <laughs>